0: I wanna hear you say ow! ow! I wanna hear you say ow! ow! Don't just say ow,
1: say ow! And now, live from space, the two hundred percent podcast with football three six five
0: Z and King and Edward Carter.
1: Hello, Pod fans, and welcome to 200% podcast number 315. Number 315.
2: 315.
1: If you're in the United States, that's the Ides of March. Is it? Well, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it, of course. Yeah, so, our featured non league match?
1: Well, it doesn't necessarily need to be a non league match, it just needs to be a.
2: Yeah, well, it is. Well, it's not going to be a fucking league match with a crowd of 315, is it? Probably not, but, you
1: know, nothing's impossible.
2: That would be 156 short of the all-time record low.
1: Okay, well, I'm looking forward to uh, 156 episodes time then.
2: Yeah, 469. Uh, Nice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And it was Thames AFC. Okay. Against Luton Town in the third division south of the football league. Uh I think it was December
1: 1930.
2: I haven't looked any of this up, but
1: But this is all this is all absolutely ap- I don't know. You know, this is apropos yeah, of nothing, isn't it? Really.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of that is right. 315
1: really... is the number that we're really after.
2: Thames were a kind of interesting club. They were
1: like Chelsea.
2: Uh created to fill a stadium. And the stadium was the somewhat confusingly named West Ham Stadium Hmm. uh, in um, East London. And uh, the West Ham Stadium held 120,000 people. It was a dog (laughs) track. And what that means is that the smallest crowd ever, outside pandemic conditions, obviously. Obviously. For a football league match. Was hosted at the stadium with the largest ever capacity in the football league. Well, how about that for a fact? That is pretty exciting. Um, but the guy, uh, the, the the match, featured match, interestingly, from the corresponding weekend last year. Oh, okay. In the FA Trophy, Chesham United two, Whiteleaf two, and. Chesham United won 3 2 on penalties. Wow. No replays in the FA Trophy qualifiers, at least. I don't know about the rest of the competition, but uh, it goes straight to penalties at 90 minutes. Interesting thing I picked up on the statistics for this game. First of all, Whiteleaf went 2 0 up in, 20, in the first 25 minutes. And Chesham pulled one back just after half time. Then, in the first minute of stoppage time, White Leaf made a substitution, and they substituted the guy who scored both of their goals.
1: Oh well,
2: and in the fifth minute of stoppage time, Chesham equalized, so that that equalizer might have actually come from a substitute time that was added on for a substitution that was used to waste time in the first place. That is entirely possible it's
1: hubris. Hubris rules, yeah. Attendance 315.
2: Attendance 315.
1: Well, this is another point, right? The number of clubs in England's top flight was reduced from 22 to 20 in 1995. Yep. And at the end of the season, four teams were relegated from the league and only two teams promoted. So that's the way of getting rid of them. That's... that's the way of getting rid of them. So the way to get rid of them, listen. Well, wait, that's, wait. The, that's the cull. Yeah, but you know, I just I look at the Premier League and I think how good it is, how far it's gone, and the, standard, the, the standard. standard at the bottom,
2: mate, is horrendous right now. The standard at the bottom is
1: it's it's dross. It is absolute dross at the bottom at the moment. Yeah, it's it's killing the Premier League. It's killing the Premier League.
2: Well, the standard has definitely locked, uh, dropped, and 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 I and I don't think what would it? How bad would it be? How who's going to miss two teams? You're not going to go and match today thinking we missed a game football there where's, where's that one no one's going to think that no, no one's going to think that at all
1: no one's going to miss Norwich no. this week coping with loss
2: yeah we've decided to move on to the big question
1: yeah well yeah I would say so Jan Zwicky a Canadian philosopher argues that dealing with loss is the ultimate philosophical problem faced by humanity and that all of our spiritual and knowledge systems exist essentially as a bulwark an insulation against loss okay and this is something i find as uh, increasingly germane to the subject of association football because it seems to me that at the moment nobody involved in football at any level be it as a supporter or um, somebody who's you know at, at one of the clubs can deal with the idea of loss even the loss of a match, without shitting the bed. Shitting the bed hard and fast.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a reflection of a generally angry, confused, and febrile public atmosphere. Um, It's everywhere. And I wonder whether it's primarily exaggerated on social media. Because whenever I go to a game, and this... This is the same for big games and tiny little piddling games. I don't see anybody getting as performatively angry as millions of people do on social media. Well, no, actually,
1: this is also, I think, true in a a wider sense, that going out into the wide world, it still seems very much the same as it always was. It's only when you check your phone that you just are greeted by an avalanche of angst and seething hatred.
2: It's probably our white middle-classness that allows us that. It's possible. Do you know what I mean? But I, I, I do, yeah, it's, it's quite stark, the difference between online football culture and actually go-to-the-game football culture. And what's interesting about that is that I've seen a few little fishers on social media just recently, between the very online fans and the ones who go to matches. Um, <laughs> um, Civil you know, war. Yeah, you wonder whether that's where like football's next big dividing line is going to be.
1: That's going to be incredible. The fault yeah. lines between who's the biggest fan.
2: No, I mean, it's, you know, what matters in relationship to that is how the game's governing bodies and clubs, react to it. Because if they decide that they want to benefit the home television audience and the very online a lot more than the people who actually turn up to the stadiums every week, if they decide that those other people are worth more, then that could end very badly for what we understand football to be. And we getting old.
1: There's no denying
2: that. And you have to kind of bear that in mind. That's what kind of concerned me most about the comments made by Florentino Perez about legacy fans. There's a point to be made there. And I would bet you a pound to a penny that if it wasn't commercially worthwhile for football to have fans inside grounds, they'd just
1: get rid of us as soon as that
2: because because we're a hassle you
0: know? Well, i think
1: at that level certainly we are moving towards a post fans age the only absurdity in it is the prices that they all still charge when yeah. we know for a fact having witnessed it with our own eyes that actually the premier league clubs don't need any money coming through the turnstiles at all anymore yeah well, they could do I mean, easily, and would probably quite happily do without a lot of us.
2: Some need it more than others. Manchester United are quite heavily dependent on it, just because they make so much. You know, well, uh, yeah. I, I forget what the exact figure is now, but it's multi multiple millions of pounds every home
1: game. Thames AFC would have been absolutely laughing.
2: Well, you've got to bear in mind that you know this being December nineteen thirty. There probably wouldn't have been anybody paying more than sixpence to get in.
1: Well, no, and of course everybody was skint as well.
2: It would be—I would be surprised if their gate receipts for that for that match cost uh, topped five pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. So you know, when when we talk about this in relation to loss, I think we have to understand that it is simply impossible to preserve football in aspic exactly the way we like it. And what's important is that we make our voices heard in terms of what it is going to become. Yeah, I may be almost 50 years old, but I'm not giving up on the idea of, having ideas about the future of football because it can't stand still, so it won't stand still. And that's what always used to irk me a little bit against this kind of, against modern football thing, was we can't wind back the clock. Yeah. Our collective youths are not coming back. And whilst there are a lot of things to not like about modern football, there are things to like and also if you want to change shit and you want to acknowledge that football can't stand still, then you have to make an alternative proposal which is ultimately more appealing to thing to people than what the people are doing which is riling up the AMF people in the first place Yeah, do you see what I mean does that make sense yeah yeah Um, and it wasn't a major criticism particularly you know it is absolutely not incumbent on all critics to come up with a detailed solution of what they would replace it with that's not how criticism works it's not a critic's job to also say what would work better and it doesn't work like that so I think that we're going to lose things. They're going to change. Well,
1: yeah.
2: And yeah. what we have to do is try and make sure that what it evolves into or what replaces it is satisfactory to us.
0: Yeah.
1: Ultimately, I mean, that is, that is of course, a, a very important form of loss. The loss of innocence, I suppose. But the, the, the more straightforward forms of loss that are thrown up by sport, Mm. uh, are also, I think, very much at the forefront of a lot of people's minds at the moment because it seems to me like there's an unrealistic sense now that loss is unacceptable rather than being inevitable and, in fact, a function of any form of competition at all. Somebody is going to finish last. Somebody is going to get walloped somebody is going to be on the receiving end of somebody else's success that's just the way of it but it, yeah. it, it seems like that, that it's not it's not acceptable anymore and I found it an interesting quote from Carl Gustav Jung not a noted football pundit but nevertheless somebody who had a few opinions on uh, grief and loss, and the human condition. Neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering, he argued. And uh, if that doesn't sum up modern-day football, I don't know what else does. if you
2: look at league tables from the 1920s and 1930s, the most striking thing about those league tables is, well, A, how many goals were being scored, but B, how close they were. Yeah. And honestly there's points when you're looking at some of those tables when it might as well be random you'll have two points separating nine teams or something like that you know yeah and that is not obviously the case anymore and f- football used to be classless it-, it used to be very very evenly matched and that is simply not the case anymore football has become stratified in terms of um, the financial disparity from club to club and it's tempting to think that that has extended now into the stands and onto the terraces where the terraces still exist so at big clubs at Manchester City or at Liverpool They are rapidly becoming conditioned to only expect to lose two or three league games a season. Yes. And that is now the expectation. And now, you know, you can be unkind and call it entitlement. Neurosis is a good word for it. I don't like drawing comparisons between football and mental health conditions. But... It's tempting to say that there is something psychologically unhealthy about having that level of expectation.
1: It's more or less exactly what, what Jung is saying is that mental instability will yeah. will be the result if you are unable to properly assimilate and grieve for the losses, you know, yeah. and adjust to the new reality of your life each time. Yeah,
2: that makes perfect sense. Again, it's you have to separate between online and match-going discourse. Things have certainly changed. You know, the Spurs-Man United game on Saturday evening (laughs) being a case in point
1: here. There was a lot of coping with loss going on there. They were
2: booed off at (laughs) half-time. Oh, were they? There was booing when they took off Lucas Moore and
1: brought on Stephen Burke. An absolutely huge amount of booing. I don't think I've ever heard a boo like that for a substitution.
2: Yeah, and there was booing at full time. And you do find yourself wondering how much of that is performative.
1: Well, yeah, obviously.
2: I don't know. I'm not saying all of it. Um, And actually, you know, to anybody who might be offended by that, I, I've got more time for the people who are doing it performatively than the people who actually mean it.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think that comedy booing, booing and laughing at the same time is, is one of the great unheralded pleasures of life.
1: Well, it's one of the, the great reasons to still go to a football match is yeah, to be able yeah. to contribute your two pence. And if your two pence is derision... And uh, mockery,
2: boo- booing with a smile on your face. A boo at the end of the day. Yeah, ne- yeah never, you know. never,
1: ever boo with without a smile on your face. That's yeah. It awesome.
2: just yeah. That that's weird.
1: <laughs> booing without a smile on your
2: face is weird. And those are the people. Those are the people that I that I
1: that I probably distrust. Well, uh, I, I feel I feel a certain amount of pity for them. I I, I, I think. The majority of them because you do see them in, in the crowd and I always enjoy watching the people who are really really winding themselves up and you, yeah. you get the feeling that you know as soon as the final whistle goes they just walk out and go home and watch telly and um but do they?
2: <laughs> Why be like that? It can't possibly be good for you I mean if <laughs> I tried that it will probably kill me <laughs>
1: I'd give it yeah. about
2: three games and my heart would explode. Yeah. Um, I've got I got no time for that sort of anger in my
1: life. It's not healthy. No. And actually, it can become self-perpetuating as well. I mean, if you get into a bit of booing for purely satirical purposes, before too long, you're actually there <laughs> screaming and snarling. A, a, a young man who's a third of your age.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who, if you did that to him in the street, he would kick the shit oh, out of you. Yeah, with <laughs> good reason. The only re and with good reason, no one would stop him. The only reason that any of that transaction is happening, especially in the way that it is happening, is unique to a football ground.
0: The Chicken Corner. Made simple by Shahwood. Heat the oil. Cut and fry the onion. Add the chicken. Then stir in Shahwood's mild curry paste. Add water, cover and cook until tender. Finally, the almonds and yogurt. The mystery of Indian cooking. Unraveled by Shahwood. Where is Sherwood's mild career pace? Find out! Now, one of
1: the key aspects of uh, dealing with loss that I wanted to touch on was the current bogey team in the Premier League, Norwich City. Mm -hmm. They're not having a very good time, as we all know, Mm -hmm. but this is, I think, relatively new in my experience of football. This sort of growing movement A nascent movement of people who go, they're not good enough to be in the Premier League. Yeah. Get them
2: out. They're angry at them, aren't they? They're not living up to their lofty expectations. You're cheapening. You're
1: cheapening everything. Yeah.
2: The thing is that Norwich are in the Premier League because they were promoted from the Championship last season. As champions. As champions.
1: With 97 points.
2: Yeah. So if it was anybody apart from them, They'd probably be worse.
1: Oh, well, yeah, obviously.
2: You know, statistically speaking, have a chat with Sheffield United about how easy the championship is.
1: Or Sunderland.
2: Yeah, or Sunderland.
1: Or Leeds. Yeah,
2: or Nottingham Forest.
1: Derby County. Yeah. The list, Yeah, the list is endless. Yeah,
2: have a chat with some of them. You're saying that Norwich aren't good enough. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, the thing is that they're bad. You know, I've I, I watched... Uh, the Leeds game, yesterday. Uh, Yes. And they're just... they worked really hard, but they are just limited. And there are limitations on what they can do. But to say that, A, they're not trying, or, B, they're spoiling your view...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is such... Dick moves, aren't they? Well, I mean, the key, the the, the real um, key moment when this came to light was on the talk sports show, The Sports Bar, with Jason Cumdy and uh, Jamie O'Hara. Okay. Which the radio equivalent of two legs of lamb that have become sentient somehow.
2: <laughs> Good God. So you've started listening to talk radio, Well, have you? no,
1: I, I haven't, but <laughs> I, I was made aware of this. Due to Twitter, their argument is that they need to get an 18-team Premier League because the, these whipping boys are an embarrassment. These are words that they used. They said it. they were an embarrassment. They're they're producing irrelevant matches, and they are disgracing themselves. Now, for a start, I think it's a bit rich for Jason Cundy and Jamie O'Hara. Yeah men whose reputation as former Premier League footballers owes quite a lot to the fact that there are some lesser teams allowed to participate in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And of course, let's not forget that Jason Cundy played 58 games for Ipswich Town. No one's going to miss Norwich. But they were saying it's not a Super League thing. They're against the Super League, but these people are just not good enough. And I don't think that you can honestly say... We need to get rid of Norwich City and not be, essentially, pro some sort of Super League. Yeah, because
2: that's exactly what Liverpool, Man United and all that lot are saying about everyone else in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, if you deny a team the right to participate when they've fulfilled all of the pre-agreed qualifying criteria, then you're pro Super League. The point is... That it is a meritocracy. Yeah. You know,
2: that is how it works. It's how it's always worked. It's how the entire game has run itself since 1888. Yeah. And it has been so successful that it's been exported almost entirely around the world. Yeah. Now, there are variations, you know... Major League Soccer is a variation. Uh, they have um, a, a very a different variation in Argentina with the apertura and clausura. Yep. So there are, but they do ultimately come close to this fundamental principle. Everybody plays each other twice a season, home and away. You get points if you win, less points if you don't, and none if you lose. And at the end of the season, the team with the most points is the winner. It is beautiful in its simplicity. In terms of, I I, I would go so far as to venture that it is one of the great pieces of architecture of the late 19th century. The Football League table. And now, these fucking (laughs) Burks They're just turning up on the radio where they've got reach. That's what's important. They've got reach. People who are in a position to be able to control this sort of thing may well be listening to them. And there Mm. they are, spouting this bullshit for money. I bet that if you took them to one side, they wouldn't even believe in it themselves
1: oh yeah you you do wonder whether or not they even realize that what they're saying
2: what the fucking implications of that would be because it wouldn't be an 18 team premier league for very long because the bottom two of that would be the worst because the fact of the matter is that the reason why there is this huge gulf is because there's such a huge gulf between the premier league and the entire rest of football We'll that's is why yeah. that's that's what the problem is. The problem isn't too many teams in the Premier League. The problem is twenty clubs or eighteen clubs, or however the fuck few you want to mention, <laughs> getting almost all the money. That's the yeah. issue. And if you want to do something about it, if you want to make Norwich competitive, if you want to have that twenty team Premier League, or if you want to have an eighteen team for pre- Premier League, that is genuinely competitive, then what you need to do is equalise the amount of money across the board. Because the teams going up are never going to be able to live with the teams that have been in the Premier League for the last few years because those teams have been banking a bit of money every year, while the Championship is a financial basket case. Yeah,
1: but and I think for Jamie O'Hara to say that Norwich City are and this is a direct quotation, ruining the Premier League. <sighs> uh, when, you know, you've got players at Everton, a team who haven't won anything in, well, since 1995, in fact, which is the year that the Premier League went down to 20 clubs. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: you know, players at Everton... Have no real expectations. They've not really won anything, and they're wearing mink pants. Yeah, you can't blame Norwich City. That you know, it's it's a function of the competition. It may, if everyone won and drew and lost the same amount, and they had to decide the league table on colour of hair. I guarantee you would actually not find it particularly edifying.
2: No, I mean, that's the thing that I noticed from looking at these really old league tables, which was that the points differentials between the teams in divisions was so small that it effectively kind of rendered it meaningless. I don't know if there's a a sweet spot on that sort of thing, a spread across uh, a division, but... um, Certainly, I mean, I'm just looking one up now. I'm, I'm, I'm opening this one up completely randomly. The Football League First Division, 1927-28. Okay, yeah, um, Everton won it.
1: Well done to them.
2: 53 points. Huddersfield second, 51 points. Leicester third, 48 points, and then from Derby County. In fourth place to Tottenham Hotspur in 21st place, relegated, (laughs) six points. Yeah. Six points between fourth and 21st in the league table. There's seven teams on 39 points, which is one point above the relegation places. Seven teams, 14th to 20th. That's just a farce.
0: And then, of course, on
2: top of all of that, these teams are separated by goal-fucking-average. The most baffling way. I have no idea who thought that was a good idea in the first place. Goal average went out in the 70s some point, believe it or not. And goal average was used as a divide teams who finished equal on points. I think a lot of people listening to this may know this, but just for the off chance. Of course, it is now goals for minus goals against. Gives you goal difference. Goal average is goals for divided by goals against. Mm. So, for example here, the difference between Burnley in 19th place and Sunderland in 15th place in the table. Both finished on thirty nine points. Burnley's goal average was point eight three seven, and Sunderland's was 0.974. And this is, you know, that, like I say, I didn't, I had no idea that that was going to say all of that. <laughs> I, I did actually just type that in. I was, I don't know, twenty seven, twenty eight.
1: If if it works out that way, organically, then okay.
2: I still don't like it. A
1: lot of the problems with the Football League table were solved by another piece of the 20th century's finest uh, architecture, Jimmy Hill's chin, and specifically his brain, when he came up with three points for a win. Now, that was a very, very smart move. Yes. Because it eliminated a lot of that. I mean, we've had, um, in my little world of motor racing cars, we've had a very similar thing this year with the Formula E the electric racing series. They're all identical cars, slightly different powertrains in some of them. Mm-hmm. But this year, the, the 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 way it worked out with the qualifying format that they had, which essentially had the people who were highest in the championship going out first, so that they were essentially clearing up the track for mm-hmm. everybody else, meant that pound to a penny the person who done the best at the last race or was doing the best in the championship would probably qualify down the back and then they've got 45 minutes to try and get through in a field of identical cars the upshot of it was i think there were 17 drivers in contention for the championship by the time of the last round and at the end of the last round if you were to have said, actually, let's have one more round, there would still have been 15 drivers within one win. And it it actually, it's quite nice initially. You think, oh, well, you know, getting some interesting results, some different winners. But at the end of the day, it's a meritocracy. And I don't want to see everybody winning just because they've had one hand tied behind their back. I want to see... An actual competition, and if that means that someone one year falls off the back and gets a real pasting, then that is you know that is what it is. The only reason it means anything to win anything is that there's going to be a lot of people who've lost the f a cup at the end of the season. you've beaten seven hundred odd teams essentially yeah. seven seven hundred and fifty odd teams have gone into the FA Cup trying to win it and have lost, but you didn't lose. People need to stop being so unreasonable and shrill and trigger happy about loss. They just need to accept it and accept that it's good for you, you know? How, what are you going to be like if when someone dies, if you if you can't deal with the fact that your team has copped a drubbing on uh,
0: Saturday?
2: Well, it's cleansing for the soul, isn't it? It is cleansing for the soul.
0: And we're all looking for security. This is one of the troubles in life at the moment. Everybody wants security and they're not getting it. Have you got, have you got a feeling of security today? I've got a feeling of security regarding a few bob, obviously. I've got, I've, got, I've got a few bob more than I had, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But um, I haven't got total security because total security means to be involved in something you implicitly believe in and, and, and doing what you want to do. Security is not riding around in a Rolls Royce having enough cash on to live for the rest of your life. Security has got to start here. And the money in the bank sometimes, you forget about that, you know. And what's the dreadful thing about being... You said it's terrifying, but out of a job, unemployed, you were saying you are at the moment. Well, the rejection for a start was terrifying, having been sacked. The rejection, that's hard to bear. Uh, Irrespective of how much you tell them they're wrong, you tell yourself they're wrong, it's still hard to bear... And the re- the feeling of the feeling of being out of the one thing that you feel you can do best—that's a terrible fear.
1: Let's move on to another form of loss, which is the loss of a job. Okay. Uh, we're recording on Monday, the first yep. of November, and earlier today, dear old Nuno, yeah, finally, finally paid the penalty. But <laughs> finally, yeah. After a very disappointing—it has to be said performance against manchester united who are of course now free of all suspicion having not lost a game for what seems like an eternity
2: yeah you feel awful for saying it and you feel awful because it's the first thing you say as well well he's got to go (laughs) he's you know lovely bloke gave all that money to that homeless charity that time blah 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 but he's got to go and, and 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 maybe that's what I don't like the fact that we reach for that first rather than the 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 yeah. feeling of disappointment and I'm disappointed though because you know I have some scruples, and one of them is that I would rather the manager of my football club be nice, yeah, and you know if he can be if 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 if, if he can, but he has to be able to manage. That's the thing.
1: That yeah, that is the thing. And actually, although it is trendy to to you know delve straight in and go, well, he's got to go. I think in this case, it was it, it was not the right fit. And in in a way, he's probably been done a kindness.
2: Yeah, it was it was you know you don't have to cry for these people. He's he's he he's he's got plenty of money. I'm certain of that.
1: Yeah. He kept the beard.
2: It's not like if if I lost my job I'm fucked you know so it, it's it's yeah. not it's not the same but having said that it still leaves a little bit of a unpleasant taste in the, the mouth to feel as though you have to say it I think most people who know me will know that I am not a trigger happy person when it comes to football managers I do think that patience is a good thing and I do think that the definition of what a manager is has changed in recent years in a way that I don't really necessarily even think does anybody any good anymore, you know? No. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I felt sad about it. Um, I felt sad that it didn't work out because I really would have liked it to have worked out. But the thing is that there was something so quite clearly wrong with the way they were playing. Yeah. And it was so obvious. Everybody could see it. It's right there in front of you.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you didn't really understand football very well, you would probably be sitting there watching it yeah. and going, Should, shouldn't there be some players in yeah. between the Manchester United players and the goal?
2: Yeah. Shouldn't they be doing something? <laughs> um, and, and you could argue about the whys and wherefores it's legitimate to have that conversation. Is it the players? Is it the tactics? Is it the fitness? But the sum result is still the same. And they were so bad against Arsenal. They were so bad against Chelsea. They were so bad against Manchester United. These are the teams that they're considering to be, you know, they consider to be their contemporaries. You've got to add Crystal Palace to that list as well. The Europa conference league matches have been a bit of a shambles they lost to Vitesse test last week they got the you know they now really need to win all of their remaining games to get through the group stage of that and mm. the all right they're in the quarterfinals of the carabao cup <laughs> but that's it the man city performance was an eye-opener because <laughs> it kind of looked and felt so wrong and Everything that's kind of followed since then. Two really bumpy 1-0 wins. And then just a bunch of thrashings. It just wasn't happening. It just wasn't. And if you see it, you can't unsee it. That was the nature of it. There was something about it that you couldn't put it to one side. I kind of get how Man United supporters or some Man United supporters could offset the issues with Ole's team because, you know somebody's going to crash the ball in from 35 yards in the last minute and win the game. And some people, that's really all they see. Yeah. Uh, or all they're interested in. But Spurs weren't doing that. They were just so soporific. You know, we went through with a fairly fine tooth comb in the North London Derby a few weeks ago. This was almost as bad as that. And it was at home. And against probably an inferior team.
1: Well,
2: yeah, possibly so. And the problem is that, and this is a kind of a a feature of the Premier League, is that with 38 games, there's no room for error. You can't just chuck away a match and, you know, oh, we go again. Um, You haven't got the space to do that. You kind of have in the Championship. You can, you know, 46 matches is a lot and you can afford to lose a couple. Because everyone is going to. But in the Premier League, if you want to get anywhere, then you've really got to try and maximise every single game. Um, you won't be able to do it every match. But there's no room for error, or very little room for error. And Spurs were just getting too clumsy too much of the time. And when, And every time they lost, they just looked dreadful. So, yeah, you know, we are where we are.
1: Daniel Levy, the chairman in the Premier League with the fewest follicles. Also, I found out today, the longest serving chairman in the Premier League. This is the 10th manager that he's dispensed with the services of since he took over 20 years ago. So, I mean, actually, that's by Premier League standards, not that crazy.
2: Well, you've got to bear in mind that about five of those years were Pochettino. Um, yeah, probably another good, good few were Harry Redknapp actually.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's been there's been quite a few very short term acquisitions. Uh, Santoni, Martin Yol, Juan de Ramos, remember him? Oh God, who could forget? Andre V S Boas. Yeah, and of course now Nuno. The 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 thing is that when it goes bad like this, you have to kind of
2: you you have to kind of understand the thought processes and how this works from a structural point of view. It is now the end of October. The transfer window doesn't open till the 1st of January. So no new players are coming in for the next two months and everybody knows that. So there's nothing you can do about that. The chairman or the owner ain't gonna sack himself. And Daniel Levy does a perfectly good job in making a lot of money for Joe Lewis, who is the actual owner of the club, Levy is a shareholder, but he's Joe Lewis is the majority shareholder. Lives on a yacht in the Bahamas, you know, well, and with- um, and from that perspective, he's doing a very good job because Tottenham make a lot of money and a lot more than they used to. So he's not going anywhere. So it is literally, if you really see something that you need to affect an immediate change on, that it's going to be tangible and make a difference at the end of October, getting rid of the manager is the only thing you can do from a practical perspective. Yeah. And Newcastle are in the same position. Well Steve Bruce has gone and they have not improved a jot. Well, they were yeah. diabolical against Chelsea on Saturday. Absolutely diabolical. It all comes down to, A, who the new coach is, and B, what business they can get in the transfer window. And we talked about this before. They're going into the worst of the transfer windows, the January one, with an as-yet unnamed coach, which, I don't know, it's probably going to end up being Fonseca, isn't it? Paolo Fonseca or it could be Eddie Howe or it could be Nuno who knows it could be um,
1: or Steve Bruce
2: yeah but at the moment they're going the fuck down <laughs> they yeah. they're all you know they're as almost as bad as norwich well
1: they've won as many games as norwich they've
2: won yeah they've won as many games they've drawn two more uh, I think they've had a slight, they'd had a slightly easier start to the season because Norwich had quite a difficult start. They yeah,
1: played Nor- Norwich's next four games: uh, Brentford away, Southampton at home, Wolves away, Newcastle at home. Yeah. By the end of that run of four games, I don't think that people will necessarily be talking about Norwich as could this be the worst Premier League team of all time? Because they may already have manage to get the two wins that they need.
2: Well, I don't know, you see. I'm, I, I, one thing I am uh, inclined to think is that there's a strong possibility that this worst team of all time thing becomes self-perpetuating. Um, it's in the media so much that under normal circumstances, the players probably wouldn't give a fuck and would just be like, right, OK, who are we playing next? You know? But now, if the, the constant blather in the background is only likely to make them more nervous. When they play in Leeds yesterday, it's like you know, third bottom against bottom of the Premier League. And they say, lads, it's only the end of October. They were so nervous. Both teams, first 10 or 15 minutes, balls going all over the place. Wild passes, misplaced passes, bad control. Um, it was really noticeable. And, and 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 you do find yourself wondering whether it's that constant blather which is turning up the nerves on the players. Because the fact of the matter is that that's only likely to happen more if every game is treated as an event. They've already got a plinth for the ball. They do that as routine. (laughs) You know, they have to line up and... Do this performative, everybody's shaking hands thing. Do you know, they used to just run out onto the pitch wearing tracksuit and tops and kick footballs out in front of them. And, yeah. and, it, was, and it was much better. I know it's not the, coming back. They were the days. I'm just saying that if you didn't get that feeling, supporters can't even really cheer when a team comes out onto the pitch anymore because it takes too long. <laughs> you used to get this big rousing cheer when the teams came out onto the pitch. Now it's like uh, this lengthy round of applause, which has just got nothing behind it, because nobody can sustain a cheer for the amount of time that it takes for these teams to get out onto the pitch.
1: That's true. That's another thing that we have lost, and it's yeah. not coming back. But I'm, you know, I'm placid with it. I have assimilated it into the new reality of my life and i just feel sorry for all those people who never watched uh, the good old days with the short shorts and the mustaches and the tracky tops
2: and the racism
1: and the ra- <laughs> although to be honest that we're doing our best to bring we're do- that back
2: yeah we 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 we're doing all right on that front
0: oh.
1: Before before we wrap up, we did receive a question. We actually the Norwich City portion of this program. We should uh, point out we received a question uh, from Ian Haddingham on Twitter, who's a Norwich City supporter. So you know, mad props to them. <laughs> um, but one question that we received that. Wasn't uh, about a subject that we were necessarily going to touch upon. Was from Barry at the cold end, yep. who asked, Who is going to finish higher in the Premier League, Arsenal or Spurs? Such a difficult question, <laughs> it, it is a, a, very it's difficult a really question. difficult question at the moment. It's Arsenal, no question, yeah. At, at, at all.
2: the moment, it's Arsenal, absolutely no doubt about
1: it, but. I mean, yeah, if Spurs get Antonio Conte...
2: Forgive me the indulgence of being quite excited about this. Yeah. Because he's a really, really good coach. He's, he's won manager. league titles with three different teams.
1: And he knows about how to deal with loss as well. Yeah. Because he lost lost his hair. And he as you pointed he, out earlier today, probably will again. Yeah. As a result of managing Spurs. yeah
2: it's a properly exciting appointment and it also looks as if there's a possibility that the club has been spooked into agreeing to whatever he wants and that's going to mean spending a fuck ton of money on players because that's what Conte does and I'm all in favour of that. Ain't my money. (laughs) That's true. If, 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 if Spurs have got it into their head that they need to spend 250 million pounds somehow or other in the January transfer window by outbidding Newcastle for every player that Newcastle want by one pound, then they should totally do that. (laughs) But I mean, I looked at, did you see the list of players? I mean, I know that these are all probably like coming from very optimistic agents, but... Some of the players that are on the um, on on the list, I'm just quickly looking now to see if I can find one.
1: But the, the, yeah, these lists of players are so dazzling now. It's like these are the players that our team is going to sign. And there again, you're you're probably already dealing with Jungian the processing of loss because. What are you, what do you do if you're getting all excited about all the players you're going to sign for your team and none of them turn up?
2: Here we go. This is from this afternoon, right? This is uh, from Hotspur related, which is a Spurs. Okay, that I is forward. this the Antonio Conte shopping list? Uh, Antonio Conte has made a very specific THFC transfer requests. He has identified uh, Stefan de Vrij, Matthias Delight, Alessio Romagnoli. Uh, Marcello Brosevich, Federico Chiesa and Dusan Vlahovic as potential targets. Fair enough. So fuck it. Spend all of them. Spend a billion quid and spend all of them. Yeah, why not? There you go. Joe Lewis can afford that. The brown bomber. Joe Lewis, he, he's very rich. He can afford that. Go on, do the lot. It would be hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah. Newcastle with all that, all that Oil-drenched money and every other Premier League club refusing to do business with them because they think they smell.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's possible. There is no way that there is going to be a single player on that squad that doesn't respect Conte. No. Yeah, he is genuine elite European coaching staff. He, this is this is top level. They've gone all in this time you know what if he can get that back out of harry kane again what if he can do that what if he can get them into the champions league places
1: and will we see cup? there's not actually there's nothing wrong with the spurs players the, the spurs players are the sort of players who if you were getting good results you you would point to them and go well look at all these great players that we've got It just so happens that they're not getting results and everyone's going, well, these players are all shit.
2: There's a lot that have gone stale. Uh, There's a few that are certainly not as good as they were and I would include Kane amongst those. But uh, the question then becomes, is that decline irreversible or can actual proper coaching combined with a more positive mental attitude which I think has really been missing from the whole club since Pochettino left and maybe for the last year that he was there as well if that can be brought back what power can that have? and the answer to that is I've got no fucking idea I don't remember another club doing something like this before in the position that Spurs are in now mm they really have lumped it all on the manager and he is a manager who expects to be backed so they're going to have to back him I I don't know I don't know I don't know where it ends up the only thing that I can say for certain I don't think i said this before is that it will be interesting and after several years of it not being interesting then I'll have that back it's like, you know, they got to the League Cup final. I couldn't have been less interested <laughs> in that game. I sat there like, it, it was, I felt obligated to be there. It was It was awful. And Spurs aren't going to win the Premier League. They're not going to win the Champions League. They're not, I. you know, they're not that, they haven't been that profile club. Since well before I was born. But at least if they're not going to win anything, or if they're going to win a League Cup every 10 years, or an FA Cup every six or seven years, or something like that, if that's going to happen, then at least let me enjoy it. And there you go. As long as you don't get too engaged with it, as long as you don't find yourself getting too emotionally attached to it all, then it has, this has the potential to be real fun. And all without having to apply any bone sores to anybody and without having to deny any rights to any
1: oppressed groups. Very true. And you have, in that, reached the seventh stage of grief. Acceptance slash hope. So yeah. you've done really
2: well, well. Yeah. well no it's it's you know my my level of hope is um blunted in the same way that my level of unhappiness when they lose is blunted. Um I don't feel either particularly strongly. That's for the people who go to every game. Those guys invest a lot emotionally into the club. I don't really. I got no right to be hugely pissed off when they lose. I've got no right to be diving headfirst into a fountain if they win. I've put so little in. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the thing and the thing is, especially with a club like Spurs, it's for the best.
1: Oh yeah, I can see that. Don't don't get too involved. And in answer to the uh, yeah. question that was posed, I think Arsenal will finish ahead of Spurs. Probably by one goal. Probably by one of the goals that Spurs shipped during the North London derby.
2: Yeah, I mean, Arsenal have have clicked in some respect. It's not guaranteed yet. You know, we have to see what happens because they've been on a kind of long unbeaten run now, haven't they? Is it five games? Something like Um, that. They've um,
1: stumbled upon the secret of an unbeatable goalkeeper, which is always handy
2: the question that comes next is what happens when that breaks because the first unbeaten run can be the most difficult one to recover from mm-hmm. oh Do you know what i mean you you can be propelled by your own confidence and when that takes a big wobble the reaction to that will be mo- most telling in terms of you know, us understanding whether they're the real It's a fine line. I'll tell you what, we were talking about points spreads across divisions. And I reckon that after 10 games of this Premier League season, the points spread, apart from Chelsea being three points clear at the top, I think that's a bit tight, a bit, sorry, a bit wide. You've actually got what I would say is a really, really good points spread across the whole division. You've got five points between Liverpool in second and Arsenal in sixth. Four points between Wolves in 7th and Brentford in 12th. And then you've got two points between Brentford in 12th and Leeds in 17th. I think that's a, I think that's a good spread yeah. of, of points to have. I think that actually, you know, if it carries on like this, it will be the most interesting Premier League season that there's been by a yeah. long way. And the
1: fact is that if Newcastle and Norwich are at the bottom and neither have managed to win a game then, you know, just accept it for what it is. A bit of history, a bit of uh, colour, a bit of trivia. And sh- just shut up about 18-team Premier League, you flappy bellens.
2: Fucking pair of idiots.
1: But anyway, what have we learnt? We've learnt that Norwich City are trying their hardest and should just be left alone. We've learnt that Daniel Levy has got fewer follicles on his head than a snooker ball.
2: I'll tell you what, right, Pep is bald was doing some brisk business on Twitter on a Saturday early evening. Yeah,
1: well, there's a big, the big bald-off coming, I think, between Pep and Daniel Levy. You knows it. It's for all the marbles. I think this season is going to decide once and for all who's the baldest. The Tottenham chairman or the Man City manager?
2: Oh, uh, I don't like that because Spurs always lose and Manchester City usually win. So if there is some sort of ultimate reckoning, that's going to be Man City winning the fucking Premier, uh, Champions League. Well, tell
1: you, i tell I, you, I mean, Spurs are well positioned at the moment because Daniel Levy is as bald as a fucking coot.
2: Yeah. i tell you who didn't have a good game at the weekend. Kevin De Bruyne. Hmm. He's gone right off the boil,
1: well, maybe he needs to shave his head,
2: well, I think he's got i i think it's wear and tear, I think that they get pushed so hard, and galacante does the same thing, you know um yeah they right. they just kind of fall into pieces a little bit,
1: yeah, we need to pray for mojo, yeah if
2: possible if possible, anyway
1: is that it. Have we finished? That is it. We have discussed loss, accept loss, welcome it into your hearts because it is the one true guarantee of human existence.
2: (sighs) That and poos. Oh. We'll be back again same time next week. You can find me at TWRHT. You can find him at 200% podcast, I think. Is that right? 200% zero zero pod. All oh, right, there you go. That. We will be back same time again next week. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye.
0: Smithy's calf, Smithy's Cat, Cap Cap, Cat Cap, Cap, Cat, Cap, 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 Cap Cap, Cat, Cap Cap,
2: We'll be back again the same time next week. Thanks very much for listening. And is that noise what I thought it was?
1: What did you think it was?
2: Well it sounded like you did a massive fart.
1: Well I could have done one. Jesus Now now the conundrum comes whether and I leave it in. <laughs> You're gonna leave it in, aren't you? It's gonna be the funniest thing to <laughs> happen. <laughs> oh no. And this is
2: what we this is what we're gonna get famous for. This will be the breakthrough thing. I'll be going like, I'm, excuse me, I'm an artist, and then we're going, no, we just want the 17-second long fart.
1: Well, I am i will probably be able to apply. Well, that's the thing. That's,
2: that's the thing that concerns me. <laughs> anyway... we will be back next week we might not be back next week i might i might oh, i might close
0: this podcast out of shame
1: i might be in the hospital <laughs> i'm
2: surprised you're not already
0: Sherwood's mild curry paste